1: Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. It's been a minute since we posted, but I want to let you all know that I'm about to start ramping up content as we get closer to the regular season. So definitely make sure your YouTube subscription is up to date, notifications on, and strap yourselves in for a lot of content coming your way. If you haven't seen the new defense I developed, definitely check it out on my YouTube channel, Tons of coaches from all over the world are going to be running it this season, and if you're a coach looking for a new way to utterly disrupt the offense, you've got to run the chase defense. For today's episode, I welcome on the show Eric Fawcett, a team strategy and analytics consultant who first shared on Twitter clips of players in the Korean Basketball League banking in free throws on purpose. After Eric, I then bring in Tom Haberstroh, who writes the stuff stack The Finder and hosts a podcast with Metal Ark Media and is part of the original Hashtag NBA Twitter. Tom wrote about this phenomenon on TomTheFinder.com. So, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, at what point did you discover uh, that the people in South Korea were shooting free throws this way?
2: Well, I, I have kind of this 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 intense FOMO about there being some concept going around uh somewhere else in the world uh, that I'd be missing out on. That's something that's revolutionary and amazing. And and with my work with Division One teams, I just uh you know, being on the cutting edge is something I try to pride myself on. So uh, for me, that means often checking out different leagues around the world. Um, you know, I've got the ones in Europe that everyone's kind of a little bit, uh, you know, aware of everyone knows EuroLeague and, and ACB and all that great stuff. But, uh, you know, I thought, hey, maybe I should check out uh, something different. And uh, to me, I just kind of randomly stumbled upon the Korean League. So uh, just kind of trying to check out some games there, see if there's anything I could bring back to the American game and, you uh, I'll say the first time I saw a player confidently bank in a free throw and there'd be no reaction from anyone on the floor or in the stands, uh, you know, I kind of was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw him bank the second one. And uh, then I looked up and I saw, oh, that guy's an 83% free throw shooter. And then I saw a different player do it in a different game. And he was an 81% free throw shooter. And uh, from there, and, uh, you know, I just started to look at some of the top free throw shooters in Korea and started to see that there was a lot of players using this trend.
1: So what number, do we have an idea just how many like generally are doing it?
2: Um, So one thing I'll I'll shout out Kirk Goldsberry, who did, uh, who who looked at this and and posted it in response to my tweet, but there's there's four of the top nine percentage free throw shooters in Korea are doing it. Um, I looked at two more that were just kind of outside that range, kind of in the 15 to 20 range. Um, So... I'll say, you know, not that I've done a conclusive look, but at least six of the top, uh, the top 15 or 20 ish uh, free throw shooters in Korea are doing it.
1: It's fascinating, you know, because I had heard from years ago uh, from some buddies in uh, the Philippines that like the Koreans were doing things shooting wise, uh, mm-hmm. like from three point land that no one else, like, they're shooting better than anybody else. And I, I never got a chance to quite do a deep dive into it, but he was like, you got to go there and find out what they're doing. So clearly they're looking at this thing right in a, in a different ways and, and unlocking some stuff. So um, I, I am fascinated by that. Uh, are there any other, you know, things that came to your mind when you watch when you deep, do a deep dive and watching this stuff that, that, that affect the game in, in different ways by trying to bank it in versus shooting it regularly? Well, of course the,
2: the coach mind in, in me uh, is, is thinking, what are the other, you know, thinking is the survival strategy. And uh, of course, What you want to do is put all your thought into making a free throw. I'm not really into, you know, how do you set your transition defense, how you do anything else? I'm thinking you got to make that shot and, and shooters have to shoot with confidence. But, you know, like if you miss that shot, What's going to happen with that rebound? So, uh, of course, when you see a ball kind of careening off the backboard as, as, as hard as it is, even when these guys are making shots, I started to think, well, is there a value in the offensive rebounding side of things? So I started to also look at the misses of these players that were banking uh, to try to see what kind of trends there were with the offensive rebounding. And, and, and that was really interesting because, you know, there's less long rebounds than you would think oh. because I think a lot of the misses are missing far, so, you can, if of course, kind of trying to describe it that kind of action of backboard hitting front rim, then back off the backboard and spilling out, it actually turned into a lot of really close rebounds. However, if you miss left and right, those balls were careening way to kind of the short corner to the baseline. And that was something that, you know, I'd even love to talk to some of these Korean teams because still when they're trying to offensive rebound, um, uh, Miss free throws, they're still kind of flooding the middle of the lane like you maybe would with a conventional free throw shooter, where to me, a very high rate of the rebounds were going directly sideways. And it didn't look like teams were quite ready to adapt to that yet. So to be honest, even though it's a trend that's obviously happening in the Korean game, uh, I, I think even, you know, I don't think they're even completely. Uh, used to it yet because there was a lot of rebounds spilling out directly to the left or right of the rim that were uh really available that would hit the ground you know two or three times before being recovered almost always by the defensive team so um yeah there's still there's still some conversation to be had about uh about offensive rebounding off these misses uh, even in the league that uh, the trend is happening i believe
1: did you happen to look maybe like last year or the year before like were they do have they been doing this for a couple of years now
2: So this is where this is, of course, the other thing I was looking into. And a lot of people were responding to the tweet and saying like, well, were these guys, you know, were guys shooting 82 percent from the free throw line banking? You know, were they 82 percent from shooting conventionally? And a lot of these players have been doing it for as long as, you know, I looked just a year or two back. I didn't look I didn't go looking for these guys junior film, but there was one player that I thought was really interesting. Um, I I hope I'm getting this pronunciation right, but it was Yungi Ha. Uh, just based off the the announcers and, and the spelling. And he started the season for the first about three weeks shooting 66% from the three, from free throw line, shooting conventionally, and his misses were almost all short and almost all to the right. It was either short or to the right, and, and I mean like way short, way to the right, shooting 66% from, from the free throw line. He was one of their important players. And uh, he just switched uh, after three weeks into the season and he shot exclusively bank free throws. And if you look at his numbers from when he switched, uh, he was at 78%. So this was a guy that went from 66% shooting conventionally uh, to 78%. So that was the one player that I could see that has made a recent change. These other players have been presumably committed to the style for for multiple seasons.
1: Well, is it 78% overall or is it just since he switched?
2: Just since he switched. So we ended the season about seventy-five um, okay. percent after after starting sixty-six and and, and transitioning to seventy. Truly
1: amazing. And 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 there's no question it, it, it's uh it, it's certainly something we should need to think about for the some of the players over here in the NBA that are struggling because you know, the big man who I think are always afraid if they of shooting it too long, right? Like that seems to me what happens, and they're so big, they're so strong, and they can't get you know uh, calibrate their power. Uh I suppose you have a lot more leeway with power using that board as long as it's straight. Uh, And that's the other interesting question. Although for a big guy like that to to keep it uh, there isn't that much more power. They're so strong as it is that they probably could keep it straight uh, and and knock it off. Have you heard uh, of anybody yet in the NBA that's uh, that that might want to start doing this? (laughs) I I don't know. I think it's a challenge. And I think uh, we
2: went through the kind of, you know, Rick Barry. And then when his son Canyon Barry was shooting um, for Florida and College of Charleston at an extremely high level shooting underhand free throws. And I, I think any attempt they had to have that kind of stick in the NBA, uh, it, it fell on, on 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 deaf ears. And and uh, I, I think that when it comes to to bank free throw shooting, I think so far that that has been the case. So I, I think the question is is whether or not maybe the banked free throw is going to be more palatable than the underhand free throw.
1: Yeah, and, and
2: and and I'm curious as well. Like, you know, I'm the one who who you know put this video out there. And I think a lot of people assumed that that meant I would be the one advocating for a lot of players to switch that way. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not even sure where I fall on that. I just wanted to share it as an interesting trend. And of course, I think when I look, especially at like Gi Ha, who really improved his free throw shooting, you know, I think that maybe the, if if I had to say, what is the, uh, uh, you know, what is the meaning of of a video like this? What is the takeaway you should have? I'm not suggesting everyone should be banking free throws. And I did think it was interesting that, even the best players are doing it. were at 83%. And I think that, you know, you look at a lot of leagues around the world, there's a lot of people shooting better than that shooting conventionally. So I, so it'd be hard to make an argument that this is the best way to do it. But when I see a player going from 66 to 78%, um, kind of overnight starting with the, like, the, and there wasn't, there wasn't really a transition. He, sh- he started shooting well, banking right away. I, I think maybe the takeaway is, you know, if you are a poor free throw shooter at whatever level you're at, um, you should be willing to to try new things. And some of these players that have year over year over year over year continue to have the same struggles without making any drastic changes. I'm not saying that bank is necessarily the drastic change that they need, but maybe it is. But, you know, be willing to make changes, significant changes um, that might feel weird at first, even if the end – you know, especially if the end outcome is is, is going sure. to be something positive. And by
1: the way, let's just say a team that gets 5% of their uh, of the rebounds that are missed for free throws offensively, you know missing this way it might be 10% which is still low but it's twice as much as if you were shooting conventionally so those uh, 84% shooters or whatever uh, might actually be benefiting their team even more by more possessions anyway uh that could make up for you know not getting to 90 and being amazing at it so i think there's really something there and i kudos to you for noticing it and getting it out there and being the guy it's uh, a draw you know the attention there and uh we're gonna go look at this i think we're gonna this will be something that we're gonna we're gonna look back on a couple of years from now and realize that maybe it was a, a big you know game changer for a lot of guys who struggle with free throws
2: i i'll, I'll be interested and again there's of course been coaches at, at multiple levels of the game some that would uh, surprise you to be quite honest and uh, they have some interest in it so uh you know, will it be at the NBA right away with a couple guys trying hits? I would not predict that, but uh, you know, NAI and division two coaches, uh, some of them are very keen to get their you know, 50% guys, guys to do it. And again, coaches that are always looking for an edge. I I think that there's going to be some intelligent coaches that again are looking at, well, if my free throw shooter is going to miss 40% of his shots anyways, but the offensive rebounding value is, you know, twice as much. Well, you know, on a points per possession, Situation that could be point two or point three more on on a free throw attempt, and um, that's the kind of math you can do. And I think when it comes to you know setting your transition defense, um, there's some value there with the way that these these missed shots will often spill towards the corner. Well, there's an opportunity for some live ball trapping, or even a situation where you can just jam up an entry pass a little bit, uh, or an in uh, exit pass um, a little bit more than if that ball just you know spilled out to the middle of the lane and was you know kind of rebounded um, regularly. So I I think that there's a lot of potential strategy that I think that could certainly work at the division two NAIA level um, something like that. Um, what, what will happen at, at higher levels of basketball? We'll see, but I, I would love to see, um, you know, a couple players, try it out, a couple coaches, try it out and, and, and see what could happen.
1: Love it. Well, Eric, thanks so much for coming on and bringing this down and I really appreciate it and uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show here and helping us get some more insight into the bank shot. Uh, I had spent some time, Looking through these now and have some interesting thoughts. But what was your initial thought when you first saw the tweet about these uh, people in South Korea shooting shots off the board uh, from the free throw line? Tim Duncan,
0: baby. Uh, I that's immediately where my mind went as a Wake Forest, Stephen Deacon, myself. Uh, maybe that's why is because I'm biased because uh, I uh, I went there. But Tim Duncan made you know a Hall of Fame career out of using that backboard, and we just haven't seen players do this ever since. And so my first thought was, man, Tim Duncan's got to be smiling somewhere. Uh, maybe he's on an island, uh, maybe the, the British Virgin Island somewhere, just not even paying attention to anything basketball. But I'd like to think that um, this entered the basketball cosmos and reached Tim Duncan in some way, because I, for one, wonder why we don't bank
1: in shots more often. And, and by the way, it's appropriate as well, because he shot under 70% from the free throw line himself. Um, perhaps he should have tried that. Have you tried to bank a free throw in? I haven't. Um, I wasn't actually very good free throw shooter in
0: high school. I was for one. I started every game of my high school senior year, every single game. And I took one free throw. Uh, I missed it. It was a one in one. And uh, my buddies at the half court were laughing. I could hear them in the back of my mind. And all I could think about was don't screw this up. And sure enough, I did. And I think that has a lot of lesson in NBA players too. Is um DeAndre Jordan, I think, has talked about the fact that when he goes to the free throw line, he thinks in his head, don't airball it. Like, don't airball it. And as we know in psychology, the last thing you want to do, if you don't want to do something, the last thing you should do is say don't do that thing. Because if I say don't think of a pink elephant, coach, what are you going to think of? A pink <laughs> elephant, right? And so Uh, I think a lot of the psychology of this uh, from my high school career and for Andre Drummond or DeAndre Jordan or Steven Adams, um, I'm sure they're thinking of the negative of how how embarrassing it's going to be if I really miss this rather than the positive of, man, what if I just shot 60% by banking it in? Wouldn't that
1: be great for my career and my team? Absolutely. And and we've seen radical difference, you know, uh, attempts by players in the NBA to improve. Um, and with Shaq had gone through all this. And, and by the way, the whole mental aspect you're describing, if you can't get it on that end, just watch uh, Ghostbusters at the end, because you see what happened there with the safe off, Marshall, Marshall man. Um, and so, uh, but like, it's, 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 it's amazing to me when I saw that and never considered it having had every manner of ability of player in front of me to help try and shoot better. Um, I'm actually kicking myself. I was in the court last night. I should have shot a couple just to see it, but I I could get the sense that it's it it could be harder. So there's obviously two trains of thought here. Um, is it is it less margin for error or more margin for error on this thing? And I feel like this was sort of what your idea when you started to write in your Substack about this. So what did how did you solve this uh this question and and whether or not it would be easier or not?
0: Well, there's this professor at NC State that has literally studied banked in free throws for years uh, literally studied the perfect trajectory of a jump shot or a free throw um, millions of shots that they've studied at NC state. And what he found was that banked in free throws for the normal person aren't a good idea, but for really strong individuals, really big individuals that don't have any problem with the extra force that it requires to bank in a shot, it might be a good idea. And so that's why my mind went to Stephen Adams, who's one of the strongest human beings on planet earth and just so happens to play basketball. Um, and he just so happened to shoot 36% from the free throw line is when Dr. Larry um, Silverberg brought this up that stronger players should try this because they have a, be- they have a physical advantage that makes it easier for them to bank in a shot. Um, that's where my mind went is why doesn't a Shaq or a Lamar, not a Lamarcus. Why doesn't a Shaq or a Steven Adams or an Andre Drummond try this? Because holding that basketball and being ever so delicate with the free throw because it, it you have to be, it's a lot softer to get it to the to the rim. What if you don't have to worry about that at all and just power it off the backboard and it's more forgiving, perhaps? And I think that's really fascinating is the idea that. Yeah, maybe the Damian Lillards and the Steph Currys of the world, they don't really have much use for the banked in free throw, but it's the bigs, the the huge guys, the giants who oftentimes struggle with free throws that may be benefiting them more than the average NBA player.
1: For sure. I'm going to name drop here, although it's not like, you know, the most amazing name drop, but. I was speaking with uh, John Koncak, uh, of all people, not long ago, who was a pretty good free throw shooter. And what I wanted to wanted to know from him was, as a big guy like that, it wasn't it your fear that if you tried to shoot like a regular free throw like the guards learn, that you're just going to go over the backboard with it because you're so big and so strong. And he confirmed that. So I think that that is a real thing. for the. And I don't blame them. They're huge. They're seven feet. They're whatever, all this power. Because I, I agree, to, to bank it off the backboard for a normal person – you know, you're always trying to make the shot more effortless, right? So that everything flows and it's rhythmic and it's easier. So to add that uh, degree, and when you watch some of the misses, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, actually, you, you kind of start to realize how there is a lot of, um, I, I went from, there must be a much bigger margin for error. You can hit that backboard harder. You just got to keep it a little straighter. But When I watched the misses of one of the players doing it, I started realizing, man, he's missing some in and outs, you know, it's a couple inches off here or there that he doesn't quite nail it when well, it looks pretty good, but it didn't quite do it. It goes out and misses. So I don't know. I think I might have switched now to think that there is less margin for error. Uh, and uh, the professor that you're talking to, it, it kind of got the impression that maybe he felt that um, there it might not be less, but it's not more margin for error. Is that safe yeah. to say-
0: yeah that it it wasn't um you weren't getting a huge benefit from banking it in but it was as effective for larger uh players and as as you know like different players have different mechanics and different mental uh hitches and so it might not work for every steven adams out there or might not work for every uh deandre jordan but it could help some of them and that's worthy of trying and i know that um uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, Crumpled Jumper, who's uh, Todd Whitehead, he actually tracked the offensive rebounds or the rebounds, the available rebounds off of one of the shooters in the in the Korean Basketball League and found, surprisingly, that the banked-in free throws missed closer, like fell off the rim closer. Uh, it wasn't ricocheting out to the three-point line as much as he thought. And on average... Um, it bounced off the rim a lot softer and therefore like the off the, the, available rebounds, you didn't have to go very far to get those. And that was surprising to me. I would have thought that the more traditional free throw, just shooting it, it would be softer off the rim. But what we're finding is that in this small sample size that, that Todd figured out um, that the banked in free throw, it's not as crazy of these bounces and maybe that we're
1: overestimating that. Well, I I love Todd. It's well, great content. But I think what he was missing was not where, because he went nuts charting where they go. That really isn't the name of the game for me. I want to know how many offensive rebounds there actually were. So I now had to do that because (laughs) some of the data, I guess, gave you
0: more work to do.
1: I just see that's what I maybe just wanted him to do my work for me. So I've gotten one so far done. And here's the other thing that we're missing not every free throw is reboundable. Because if it's the first free throw, no, you know, it doesn't matter if you miss, it; you're not going to get that rebound. So you can't use the uh, entire free throw attempt number as a percentage of how many are getting offensive rebound. And there is no way as far as I could tell to separate the second free throws from the first without watching every single one of them charting them. So I did that for one so far uh, for one of the guys. And, you know, he shot 17 first free throws and 15 second free throws. Only one was offensive rebounded uh, off of a kind of bounce far away. And they got it like in the corner. Uh, and But you're right. A lot of those things are they just barely miss because he hit like the very top of the square, uh, the line, the horizontal line is where it like ricochets pretty hard off of the front rim. And then just kind of then all of a sudden the energy dissipates and it just falls where a defender would get it. Um, but I'm going to do the other guys too and really do a, a workup and figure out if there is anything, because even if it was like, let's just say three percent of regular shooters get their off, get them offensive rebounded and not, not the ones that are intentional. Even if it's like 5%, that's still pretty significant when you say.
0: Yes, yeah. And I also think that it's possible that you might see a more uniform trajectory if you tell a big man to aim for the square um, rather than the back of the rim or the middle of the rim or some you know ephemeral space in the in the whole circumference of the of the rim, you might get m- much better aim that way and you might get less variance on where that ball is gonna go. Um, and I think that might actually help the offensive rebound rate is if you can almost predict where the ball is going to go a little bit better. Um, so yet yeah, maybe overall, you're not seeing a huge benefit from offensive rebounds. Um, but maybe you can kind of hack that and say, Hey, you're going to miss probably right in this spot more often uh, proportionally than if you were just doing a regular free throw. Why don't we teach, uh, almost like um, uh, Alvarado, just like sneaking in and getting those, those sneaky offensive rebounds or Patrick Beverly's so good at that. Uh, so good at that is maybe getting guards to figure out, all right, I can kind of sneak my way into the, into the paint and kind of think, all right, where's this banked in free throw more likely to go. And if you can kind of train the shooter, the big man, free throw shooter, the Steven Adams of the world to shoot them, Um, with a lot more uh, uniformity, a lot more consistent because they're aiming at a big square rather than the back of the the rim, maybe you're going to get more predictable rebounds.
1: For sure. And then it's also a difference between like the NBA, which you can only have two guys in. Although again, the guys running in from the three-point line is like what you're saying could also be cued into this as well. And I'm thinking like, I just did one divided by 15 for the one offensive rebound I got. That looks to me like 6.6% if I did my math right. Yeah. I got it. It's got to be higher than what it normally is in the NBA right now. It has to be. Do we, do you have any sense of what that might be for, for, oh, what, for rebounds for uh, free throws. I think
0: I've, I, I think I've looked at this before. Um, I want to say it's almost at 10% somewhere. I like, I think it might be one really? out of 10. Um, oh, wow. I'm not, don't quote me on that, but I do think I've looked at this and I think it's somewhere around 10%. I could be wrong. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it, it's higher than I thought. Um, and I don't know what that says, but I think, uh, I think I did this because of, um, Russell Westbrook. I might've tried to figure out like the percentage of, uh, available rebounds via the different types of shots, whether it's a three-pointer mid-range jumper a free throw. And I want to say it's, it's around the 6.7, but might be as high as 10%. But again, um, I think uh I think what I wrote about was really just the the actual free throw percentage but I wanted to kind of get into that other place which is is there an added benefit from the rebounding and it sounds like you're you're on that 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 trail too and I think it's a worthy question is uh can you hack the the rebound better on banked in free throws rather than regular free throws and I think you know someone asked me this in the comment section at the finder is why are we talking about the granny shot, the underhanded shot? Like, okay. We know that the banked in free throws m- might be successful, but shouldn't underhanded free throws get a, get further in line, like ahead of that, it, than then the banked in. And I'm like, man, it's try selling that to a, to Steven Adams and Andre Drummond and Deandre Jordan is doing the underhanded. Like, I think you have a much better chance at getting them to do a banked in free throw than an underhand free throw, even though we've seen it succeed in the NBA, it's been so long and it just, it's a
1: harder sell. Well, I think also for what it's worth, as we've studied, you know, the rhythm and how we want to teach shooting better uh, back in the day, if you do a two motion free throw and a one motion shot, like why would you need to master two different kinds of things? And so we try and teach a free throw now in a very similar manner as we do jump shots. So then why would you now you're going to add a whole other thing about underhand, right? Which is a total other skill set. And that's doubling up the time, perhaps to to master that. So that actually, that argument, although I would be in favor of guys who can't get 50% should try anything. um, But maybe that would be why another reason why, okay, the bank shot is at least the same form that you've been working on. Now, the next level there is, I don't think we're going to see Steven Adams shoot a jump shot, right? Or DeAndre Jordan ever shoot a jump shot. Anyway, I don't know. I'm assuming they're practicing them, but I, I can't picture in my mind's eye, right, uh, anything but a jump hook for those guys. Do you? So, uh, do you ever
0: coach the jump. coach? Do you ever coach the the square, like the box on the backboard? Like, do you ever mention that in your coaching?
1: In, as a bank shopper, in the, when you're shooting a jumper.
0: Yeah. Like, are you ever like talking, Like, it's, isn't it kind of weird that there's a square on the backboard and it's always been there and is it just for aesthetic reasons or is there a strategic way reason why you put that square up there?
1: Uh, so it's a great question. Well, I mean, obviously we all grew up and we knew you want to hit the top right corner on the right hand layup. Right. But here's sure. what's interesting what we discovered is uh, a lot of times you're going really fast or even if you're doing a jump hook kind of thing and you get really excited and you shoot it too hard. If you hit that right, that corner, it's going to miss. So Mm -hmm. what I teach is to hit the middle of the vertical line on that side and you get a lot more weight. So there's that leeway thing that we're talking about, right? As far as you can hit that a lot harder. And I demonstrate that all the time. So I said, when you're going in for your layup even just aim lower on that to the middle part of that, of that, um, of the vertical line. Now I'm old enough, unfortunately, to remember how to shoot a 15 foot bank shot on the 45 degree angle. And so I did a video last season about Russ uh, and uh, a little bit about how he kept trying to shoot those. And yeah. what, the, what was, what's been lost, right? There's like, a uh, information about the bank shot, no one, no one seems to know anymore is the idea is that from 15, 16, 17 feet, you want to hit the ball. The ball needs to hit like on, on the way down. So yes, after it's he,
0: he has a very line drive, mid range jumper, where it just feels like yeah. he's, he's just like throwing it at the backward rather than right. having the touch in the arc. Yeah.
1: And I, and I found some Tim Duncan's where even Tim Duncan, while it's pretty flat, does have a notion of um it starts to go down and then it hits uh russ has hit the bank board on the way up <laughs> on some of his shots right <laughs> yeah. and so it really is something he needs to stop shooting i think or someone needs to help him understand a little bit more about that although i don't know especially if that's how hard that would be for a guy to like master at this point so um so I, yeah but no one teaches like the the john wooden home uh, no, no sorry not homework uh john wooden i had a vhs tape of john wooden in 1984 teaching that and i i would remember in my parents bedroom watching on the vhs and then you have to run 25 minutes of the gym and then remember what you watched right and then try and do it again uh thank god we have phones now where you can be on the court and watch the stuff uh and do it but um yeah so it, it's not really a thing maybe we should bring it back bring the sky hook back bring the bank shot back i, I don't know i mean it's, you know, uh, Sam Jones is not, unfortunately is no longer with us, but like he was a guy that made a Hall of Fame career like Duncan, but even farther back on those shots.
0: Well, I think a lot of this is mental. A lot of it is psychological. And I kind of feel like coach, if one guy does it, you're going to see a lot more do it. Like it's almost like there's a, um, the first person who breaks through the glass is always going to get bloody. And I think if Steven Adams does this, uh, and I and it succeeds. I think you're gonna see a lot of copycats is like, hey, if Steven Adams can do it, man, like he's a cool dude. Um, like he's he's burst through that wall so that we could we could all do it. I mean he 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 crawled so we could all run, right? And I think that would be really cool is to see. Um, you know, the kind of copycat nature of this is having other big men try it because one person seemed to succeed with it. And then I come back to the fact that Tim Duncan did this and was one of the best players of all time. And no one really did that. And maybe that's because Tim Duncan ain't selling that many shoes. I don't know. If he has the same cool factor as say Steven Adams or someone else, um, DeAndre Jordan, that, that would have that sort of magnetic appeal that would drive a lot, inspire a lot of players to copycat.
1: It it is interesting because again, there's a lot of players you think about in the past, like there's not many who are associated with that. Scotty Pippen would do it. And he was also very good at that uh, from, from mid range and a little farther. Uh, But you know what I mean? Like if you really think about like who is known for the bank shot. Like it's just not a lot of people anyway. Um, Even though, again, if you were born and you're playing in the fifties and sixties and seventies, like you wouldn't have mastered that shot. So I wonder if it's ever really been a thing uh, that the, uh, people are really willing to do. And again, how often are you at the 45, you know, in that mid-range to shoot it? or, or yep. you know, And then we could talk about, like, I'm a, obsessed with a one-footed three-point shot. Uh, we could talk about banking in three-point shots then, in theory, right, if you got really good at it. But uh, I, I can't imagine there's a – the margin for error on that one's got to be pretty small.
0: Well, with, with seven-footers especially, um, I think just – I, I talked to Rick Patino about this because I did a, a whole study on why Andre Drummond and other big men Shaq really struggle at the free throw line. And the theory was that um, big men, because they have bigger hands, the ball is like a tennis ball in their hands and it's harder to shoot that way. I didn't find any evidence statistically that this is true at all is that bigger hands make it harder to make free throws. If that were the case, coach wouldn't Kawhi Leonard have a really hard time shooting free throws right that's not the case a guy is with huge hands it doesn't have any impact and and therefore uh the other side is true it is like I was looking at the guys with the smallest hands do they have really good free throw shooting rates so I looked at the actual the numbers from the combine as hand size compared to their free throw percentages and there was no evidence that that hand size has any impact on your free throws. I think Yao Ming was another one where it was like, this guy has huge hands, but has no problem hitting free throws. But then there's Shaq. So I think I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, why Steven Adams and the big men of the world have a hard time making free throws, because I've, I've looked into the data and the hand size thing seems to be a, a myth.
1: For sure. And like Dr. J who probably had the biggest hands and mall was 78%. Uh, I tried this with free, with uh, the, with tennis balls. I, mean, I wanted to see this with the lower baskets, simulate what it would be like five or seven feet and whatever. I, a- after a few, I had no problem being able to get consistent with that shot and with the ball going in the basket. So I agree. I don't think the hand size has anything to do with it. Now I remember there were moments with Shaq where like he would be perching the ball up, up on his fingertips so high. And it made it look even like smaller and I think that that plays into the myth of you need to have space in between the ball and your palm, which I'm sure we all remember learning that, right? Two fingers in between here. But When you actually look at all the great shooters, I, I had yet to find any, there is never any space between the palm and the ball. That's a complete myth. And so I feel like those, um, a lot of times you get these, oh, I'm, a, I'm not going to, we're not going to name names, but you get these shooting coaches who are probably rooted in a time before they really understood what the real shooters do. And so they're giving him all of those, uh, you know, those fake fundamental stuff that we that was developed over the, all those years, and uh, and those big guys are just really just struggle with them when it would just be a little bit more out of the box, you, you know, with the, either the bank or you know, turning your feet more. Like DeAndre Jordan, if he would have just turned his feet more to the right, so his left hip and left elbow are more in line, I, I think that would have done wonders. And he started to do that one year, and he was making them like in the preseason. I don't know if you remember this. I remember I was at the. Mm-hmm, at the uh, mm-hmm. I remember being at the um, training camp and watching him on the side and he was just making and making him. And then he got nervous, I think, before the season started and then just went back the way he was, square, the whole thing, and he started clanking them. So I truly believe that there's something about the lack of, um, uh, you know, getting out of the box on these things to really get to, you know, something individual, which would really help those guys. Uh, and if that's what it is, if the bank shot could be it, if underhand or whatever – uh for sure those things would would really really help um and i'm open to all of them the thing about copycat really quickly was i was talking to a coach yesterday uh, about a defense that i actually invented and it's kind of radical because you play behind the ball and Mm. i said uh and i just did a video on it and i have all these coaches from uh, who i said you know email me i'll come help you install it and almost all of them are from international no almost nobody's from america and he was like, of course, in America, we are all copycats. We don't want to be creative. We don't want to be looking at things. But everywhere else in the world, yeah, they're looking at basketball in a lot of different ways. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that, like, all of a sudden, you know, a place like Korea, South Korea, would yeah. have these guys baking it in.
0: Well, like, I I, I talked to Eric about this, and uh, I was just like, "What? why were you watching Korean Basketball League highlights? And he's like, because that's where you find these things. You find the unconventional, the innovative um, the off the wall radical strategies because there isn't the shame of the history of basketball that we have here and what we're supposed to be doing. And what we see on, on national television on first take or inside the NBA uh, sets where they, they can kind of trash players for doing things unconventionally or say like that, that's not real basketball. And they don't have that sort of, um, that, that cultural shame that you might have here in the States. And I think, That's as much to blame for free throw woes by big men as anything. I often hear it from fans, and I'm sure, Coach Nick, you've gotten this a ton of time, is why don't they just practice more? How much is Shaq really practicing? And oftentimes I find that too much practice can be a problem, is that you're convincing yourself that I've got this fixed because, as we know, Dwight Howard makes 84% of his free throws or something close to that in practice. And if he keeps shooting those at 84% in practice, he might convince himself, falsely convince himself that he's cured. Um, But oftentimes I think practice doesn't make perfect. It just creates another habit. So oftentimes um, you'll practice so much and think you're cured, but not really practicing what is creating the problem. So if it's a mental problem, if it's a psychological problem, if it's someone in the audience that you're nervous about seeing you fail, or if it's shacked in a fool being on shacked in a fool by practicing a thousand free throws or 10,000 free throws, it's all just practice hygiene. It's all just theater. It's practice theater. It's your, Hey, Hey, why don't you Shaq? Why don't you practice your free throws? Well, I am, you know, I am, I'm shooting 10,000 free throws a day and it's still not helping me. And I think, We've in this weird, I don't know if it's American masculine, just uh, practice theory is that practice makes perfect. And oftentimes I find that big men are practicing the wrong thing. They're, they're training themselves or can, trying to condition themselves at the wrong thing. Thinking that if I shoot a thousand free throws, I'm going to magically be cured of my ills at the free throw line in the yips. When in fact, maybe it's trying to figure out psychologically why I can shoot 84% from the free throw line in practice but then go to 54% in the game. What is it different about the game environment? Is it the cameras? Is it the lights? Is it the noise? Is it the heart rate? Is it the pressure from my teammates? Is it the, the taunting from the fans? Is it taunting from the opposing coach? Like, What are those changes in the environment that is causing that drop in your free throw percentage? Most of them, I'm guessing, Coach Nick, have nothing to do with the number of free throws you practice in a totally dissimilar environment in the practice gym.
1: Well, you know, I I pride myself on watching a lot of games, but it's possible you've watched more than me. So maybe have you ever seen a player take like 10 free throws in a row in a game all in a row? (laughs) No. No. Right. That's the other thing we need to if you were to time the amount of real time in between someone taking like that second free throw and then the first free throw again later after they get fouled, you're probably going 20 minutes in between these free throws. And yet you're going to practice like a hundred in a row. And like I said, that, that simulates anything. I mean, that's to, more exactly to your perfect point was that they're not even getting close to simulating what it was like. You might remember Steve Kerr had a good story with Chip England about him struggling in Cleveland shooting when he first got to the league so what they would do is they'd shoot a few, then they go sit in the bench for a while and chat, and then they'd go back and shoot some more because that's what it was like in a game for Kurt, right? Mm-hmm. He'd be in, then he'd be on the bench, and then he'd be back in. So And that really, really helped. So uh, until we could kind of do that, I mean, I, I remember it's like, how do you create pressure field free throws, though, to practice? It's not easy because you kind of always know, well, we're just in a practice. There's no one in the stands. So that's a huge challenge. I'm not even sure. I mean, I – all I know is that, like, the most pressure field free throws I ever took was Winter Carnival uh, in high school, juniors against the seniors, and we had to shoot free throws to determine who was going to win that game, and everybody in the gym was there, and if you missed, we lost, and so, yep. I made them, by the way, but uh, I there was never more, that could. I don't know if there would be more pressure on me than, like, in an NCAA tournament game <laughs> for the fi- in the finals, that, that was crazy, and that was great well, it- experience.
0: I mean, pressure w- works both ways is we always think about failure on those big moments, but we don't often think about visualizing the success. Like when you go to the free throw line, um, how many players, especially ones who struggle, think about the swish or think about the make and then and, and visualizing it and, simi- and thinking about what that would feel like. I feel like a lot of that negative energy is c- crippling them at the free throw line is just thinking about the failure. And I remember in, in high school, just what, when we were going to end practice, when Tom, you're going to go up and make those free throws at the end of practice, you're exhausted. You mm-hmm. want to get home. Uh, it's nine o'clock at night. You got school the next day and you're just like, you just want to get home. You don't want to have to run sprints, but if you miss this free throw, we're going to run sprints until you make it. And so that, you know, simulates the heart rate, the fatigue and the pressure at the end of practice having to make those free throws. It's not a perfect game situation, but those that the pressure and the mental the psycho- psychological stakes um mm-hmm. i think are a lot more effective at improving your ability to convert free throws rather than just mindlessly catch shoot catch shoot for 150 times with the,
1: with with your buddy i don't think that is really effective training for sure. Now the only problem I always had with that was you got one person shooting and everybody just standing there watching, waiting. Like there's no way to 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 uh, scale that and have everybody shooting free throws under the pressure of everyone's gonna run in, in a weird way. It's probably a way to figure that one out. But Then, guess what? You're doing you're kind of negative stamping that as well, right? Because you yes. know, if you miss, everyone's gonna go, ah, god damn it, and they're gonna run, you know what I mean? So, it is an interesting, um, thing where, um, if you know, you, make it, then you to- get
0: some sort of reward, like maybe that's if you make it, uh, there's no cost if you don't make it, if you miss it, there's no cost, but if you make it. I don't know. You get you get free Dunkin' Donuts or something like that after practice. That probably is not a good reward for for an athletic performance, but you get the idea. Is like if you make this, uh, you get some sort of reward uh, for the team or for whatever it is. So you start visual- thinking about the make rather than the cost. Which I think um, I mean I think
1: you're to something, especially because then you know I mean, the reason why. I'm really against running, like, suicides. I I don't think any – there's nothing about running in a straight line at a predetermined distance at a predetermined time that has anything to do with basketball. And I don't know why you want to waste your practice time doing those. And so, you know – but I used to do it all the time. The reason why I rail Mm -hmm. against a lot of the old school stuff is only because I spent uh, over a decade doing them and, like, scratching my head about it all the time, thinking, why are we doing this? Well, you know, I saw Rick Pitino do it. I saw, you know, so-and-so do it. It must be right. Um, so all those things factor in, and I think that there's also another, to get back to the mental side, there just also seems to be a, a, a reticence to adopt these things, or even to accept that the mental aspect is very important. I mean, I just got into it about, um, talking about, uh, well, I talk about coaching and the communication using anger and disgust all the time and how that can, we know how the brain reacts chemically in the face of anger. And if you understood that as a coach, you would never use it in a game because you would severely affect the production of your player. And yet we still have it and they still think that it works. And the worst of all, the players think they need it to do well. That's really makes me, that kills my soul. So it's I think it's all reticence it's, to discuss the mental aspect of a lot of these things. And I think it ties right into the free throws. And again, why we are missing and what we can do to fix it. What do you, what do you think about that?
0: I, I don't think there's any coincidence that you're seeing this in the Korean basketball league and not at the PAC 12 or whatever is existing in the PAC 12. Like I think having these uh, radical strategies um, in a league that I don't think has the same history or the same pressure uh, maybe different kinds of pressure. I don't know sociolo- um so so sociologically like the difference between the fans at a KBL game versus an NBA game or an NCAA game. Um, but I don't think it's you know, I who was it? Um who's the guy at Louisville who did the underhanded free throws? Um
1: Scooter or I mean I mean Barry's uh, no, recently,
0: Barry? no, there was an NBA, there was a big man, um I forget his name oh, yeah, that yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. He, he did it and it was like really promising that we're going to now have a guy in the NBA who's doing underhanded free throws. Um, but it didn't really catch on. And, and I think um, all of this is fascinating because I think, you know, like step back threes, probably 10 years ago, we'd be like, why would a guy ever want to get further away from a long distance shot? And think that's a good idea. And now it's everywhere. So whatever, um, whatever radical idea that you have, like with your defense of trailing the ball, Um, if it helps you win games, who cares what it looks like? And that's why I think Steven Adams is a perfect candidate here. As I wrote about on the finders, I don't think Steven Adams gives two flying Kiwis about what he looks like at the free throw line, as long as it helps his team win, uh, and that's why I think Steven Adams, we're going to make this happen. Steven Adams banking in his free throws next season.
1: I'm rooting for
0: it. Let's make it happen.
1: All right, Steven, if you're out there listening, then we're, we're, we're going to figure out how to help you get there because I, yeah, I, I agree. I think if anybody was going to do it, he would do it because he does not care what he looks like or whatever. He just wants to make the shots. Um, and yeah, it, it is weird because he is so skilled that he seems to have the ability with the ball in his hand, you know, passing and things to, to manipulate it well. So um it might be worth looking into I know I did a crazy free throw video last year with Sochan um and how he changed his form to one-handed uh and I threw in a couple other guys with really ugly forms but I I think I forgot did I forget to put Steven in there I gotta look at it but I'm gonna revisit that for sure oh and there was someone else and I missed who was almost as bad as like Chucky um who was the guy Chucky uh Chucky Brown no who who was the the worst free throw form of all time you know um uh, uh Chris Dudley or no um, well, it, really it was somebody else. Anyway, uh, wow, this is my brain uh, in the morning. Is I don't it? know. You know, there was someone who was so bad. It was like Charles Barkley's, uh, you know, golf swing thing. Um, anyway, golf swing. Um, uh, yeah. But anyway, it's, it is fascinating how you can get that far, uh, to the NBA and, and sort of lack. And I, so I get the fans lament about why they're not better at it. But, uh, again, if once we can accept, Oh, and by the way, like guys like Carl Malone, remember he was struggled a lot of times. And what did he do? He didn't change the mechanics. He changed the mental part of it. He would he would whisper stuff to it in his ear, which is completely just that, what you're talking about as far as avoiding the negative uh, thoughts there. And he became, you know, decent, you know, good enough until like the NBA finals a little bit. But anyway, other than that, he was pretty good. And so um, so there there are that, that you, is a lot of times is the solution. I'll tell you a quick
0: story. I, uh, I knew of a NASA astronaut who was a huge fan of the Houston Rockets. And I think it was Daryl Morey who put me in touch with this guy. His name is Chris Cassidy. And he's done the longest like moonwalk in space or not. I don't know if it's a spacewalk, Uh, the, the longest spacewalk by an American astronaut in the history of mankind. And this guy loved watching the Houston Rockets, huge Houston Rockets fan. And he just had a tip for, for the the guy, Dwight Howard. I think at the time we talked about like, how would you cure his free throws? And he's like, We have astronauts who are like the smartest, most athletically gifted, like the highest achievers of human performance on planet earth who have the yips about certain things. Like they, they do this training where the simulation of catching like a a ball in space and the gravity and floating and just catching it. And they can do this a hundred times out of a hundred. And then as soon as they get in the simulator, just like, Dwight Howard can shoot 84% at the, at the practice gym, but then collapses in the games. They get the yips and they suddenly can't catch this, this thing. And he had this tip for whatever reason, it is the cure all for his astronauts. When they get the yips, wiggle your toes. Wow. Wiggle your toes. So he would be like, wiggle your toes when you're trying to catch it in space and they suddenly lost all of the yips, and they would just catch the ball. And there's something about the physiological or the, nerve, the neurological um, track that cuts off that yip and cuts off that, that hitch. And suddenly, just by virtue of transferring a lot of your attention and energy to the toes, mm-hmm. you're curing yourself of this mental roadblock. And he was like, I would tell Andre Drummond, I, I would tell the Steven Adams of the world, Dwight Howard's of the world at the free throw line, just right before you shoot your free throw, wiggle your toes. And I don't know if I, it's ever gotten to those guys, but I would be fascinated to learn that if you could just transfer a lot of that nervous energy and that negative energy into something like physical or mental, just like thinking about something like Carl Malone, um, you know, whispering something to himself, I got to imagine that uh, that or banking it off the backboard could cure your
1: ills. Love it. And and absolutely right. Because you're focusing on, you're, you're, you're letting your body do the, the mechanical action is not the right word. Cause I don't want it to be like robotic, but it's the, without the thought, right. They've done it so many times your body knows how to do it. You just got to cue it into it. And if you take your mind out of the situation, you can then execute that move. I talk about that with uh, shooting all the time. And I, I try and tell jokes or make weird things just before they shoot it so that they're, their, their mind is not part of it. your body is simply doing the motion that you've been doing all this time without any kind of influence from negative thoughts or all those things that creep in. So that's, I love that because it's also better than in theory, uh, uh alone because it's physical versus just, you know, I, although I guess speaking is physical too. So all those things are important for those cues. And if it's good uh, for NASA astronauts, it's good for me. Absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough time for coming on the show and, uh, and breaking more of this down for us. This is an awesome conversation. Uh, I mean, not that I'm not even one of the original like NBA Twitter people. I I think you are right. You're probably hash that you're you, you go to ground zero back in the very beginning. Don't you?
0: Uh I think so. I I don't know. I there's there's plenty of people who were there before me, but I would I would say I was on the early side of things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and there's just not many not many left, I feel like, right after f- 13, 14 <laughs> years. It's like uh know, an interesting slog. <laughs> but, I
0: I get so many sorry. of my story ideas on Twitter and and as much as I'd like to say that it is uh it is a hellscape on Twitter these days. I I got to admit um I love going on there for story ideas and I'm so glad I did with the banked in free Throw and Eric Fawcett's um, revelation and his video clip just really opened up, I think, a really cool universe of basketball theory.
1: And I think this is just really fun to talk about. So thanks for having me. You got it. Anytime. Uh, and don't forget, sports fans, the people ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Tom? I'm in. <laughs> All right.